Running with Jake, the podcast. On this episode... Hopefully now I'm from Garmin's Yeah, be careful. Don't, don't uh, lose us <laughs> listeners. I'll say Garmin's are my favourite watches. There good we go. Good man, good man. You saved it. You I saved should, it. I should hammer, like, Suntail oh, or Kronos now just, just to even it out. Or... <laughs> Running with Jake, the podcast. Because every runner needs the occasional plod. And here's your host, Jake Lowe. Running with Jake. Running with Jake. Now, that's a very interesting thought. That's a that's a curious notion, that running. The running with Jake. Now, the with Jake bit, totally down with, totally up for the with Jake. I'm here. I am the host of the podcast. Jake, that's me. So, with Jake. It's just that running bit I have a bit of an issue with. I think maybe we need to think about a little bit of a, a show name change, Pete. Maybe we should have spoken about this before the show. I was going to message you. I didn't get time. I was busy. But the running with Jack, just, it just doesn't sit well with me. You see, I kind of almost sort of know where you're going with this, but nobody else does. And I did wonder where you'd go with this and how today's show would be, bearing in mind what's happened. And now this answers my question. It's just a full-on, on-podcast breakdown, which is fine. I'm all for that. I just feel that if we're going to call the show, continue to call the show Running With Jake, then we need to, we need to do some form of running. I feel like the host needs to be able to run. I can't run. Oh, I got injured. I'm injured. No! It's no laughing matter. Oh. This happened a few months ago, didn't it, as well? And um, what is it now? What's happened? Because we, we did have a very... Br- well, you left me a very brief um, voice message and said you were really pissed off because you, you can't run at the moment, which is understandable i get it i'm not a running guy but i do run occasionally if i were to be injured and unable to run i'd also be pissed off um so i can't imagine how pissed off you are and i know you're laughing about it and you're turning it into entertainment for the sake of the show but what happened and how bad is it yeah how bad is it i i don't think i'm going to be out for forever of course i'm, I'm hoping i'm going to return fairly soon but it was it's a calf strain Basically, I, I tore my calf yesterday. A very, very easy run, very easy plod, which I would always advise people do typically after, uh, in the aftermath, the immediate aftermath of a marathon. It's kind of what are we through into the third week now. So just being very careful, very cautious. I had a bit of a hamstring. I mean, if regular listeners to the show will know you, obviously know Pete. I had the cramp in the last two miles of the marathon. Uh, although it was a great sure. race, great weekend, all those things. Um, got the cramp in the hamstring. So I was quite mindful of that. And I, I did a run the other day and felt the, the hamstring. I felt like, oh, is it, is it going to cramp up a little bit here and to be honest i just think it was over tight from the trauma of that cramp i mean i mentioned previously never had it before cramp so it's kind of it's a new experience for me and you can do all the reading in the world on cramp but until you've actually had it it can be very hard to know you know precisely how that feels and and how your body responds to it so i was really cautious in that run and i and i, and I sacked it off i kind of cut it short and everything was fine and then just had a little plod yesterday and felt my calf go. I was literally just running around the square outside the house as well just to stay safe because it was more the hamstring. I thought, well, I just want to test things, you know. Sit, like I would say to my runners, just don't throw yourself into things. Don't be miles away from home. Just have a little test, you know, that's okay. And, yeah, I felt it immediately. Anybody that's had a muscle strain, a tear, especially calf, uh, calf strains, you, you feel it immediately. So I just stopped. I didn't try to run through it. I guess that's the best thing I could have done is just stop. You know, I think it's very easy when people have an issue running. I hear this a lot in races and in training. I see it on Strava and on social media. The advice that people tend to give more often than not is stretch it out. 
Have you stretched? You need to stretch it out. Now, sometimes that definitely helps. It can certainly help with cramp because the the muscle is contracting like mad, and you're just trying to relax it and stretch it out gently. I get that, but sometimes stretching doesn't help. And when you've done something like a calf strain, you've strained your calf. Stretching it further when you've already torn some muscle fibers is not going to help it. So I I literally just stop. But it is frustrating, and we do keep things very very real on the show, as you know. And I you know I talk about injuries and stuff and and things that I've experienced previously. I mean, as much as I love helping people, I love motivating people. I just I just can't help myself. Even yesterday, I was a bear with a sore head. I was grumpy, which is part of that kind of process and dealing with the situation. Um, you know, super fired up after Manchester, wanting to get back to it. So I was really frustrated. But Martina, my girlfriend working from home yesterday, studying, still running. So she, I'm still coaching her. You know, he's like coaching on tap. Mm. We obviously live together. We talk about it all the time. But I can't help myself, even though... I'm, I'm frustrated internally. I've got my own sort of emotions going on because I'm a runner through and through. If I wasn't a coach or wasn't the host of a, a running show, I would still run for me because I want to challenge myself and it's good for my mental health and all those benefits we talk about a lot on the show. So, yeah, that's the deal. I've now got to play a very, very patient game and it's it's, it's difficult, as people will know listening to the show that are injured. It's, it is difficult, very difficult. Because I'm, I'm totally new to all of this. I've not had any injuries of running because I don't do it very much at all and when I do it I certainly don't knacker myself out um, so I'd never test myself but just I mean the, the the question if I were you and if I had an issue like that I'd want to know you know how long is it till I can run again how long is that going to be and I suppose you, you can't answer that can you really the only thing you can do in a situation like this is is look back at your training history and your running history and have you had something similar before? And I have. Uh, I may have mentioned it on the show before. I can't quite remember when I had an issue with the calf, t- tore the calf again. Uh, in fact, I've done both, strained the calves. And there's different degrees of, of strains when you strain a muscle. Of course, you know, yeah, kind of d- yeah. First degree, second degree, third degree type thing. So there's like levels and, and I'm sure it's just kind of like the, the entry level as it were, um, which is obviously mm. a good thing. But I have to use, and I already did this yesterday, once I'd sort of tried to, to not suppress those emotions because I don't think that's healthy. You know, if you're feeling really fed up, if you just brush it under the carpet, I've always said that, that those emotions don't go away. You've not dealt with them. They're just under the carpet ready for you to trip over when the lump gets big enough. So I think it's important to yes, face yes. those feelings, which I did. And and one thing I, I, I don't always credit myself, but I would credit myself for being able to overcome things fairly quickly, like come out the other side. I think you've said this to, to mm. me before, Pete, about various things, you know, being friends over the years. So when you're in that black hole, it's how quickly you can come out of it, I think. And that's when you start to become pragmatic. And yesterday, I I was in that place, although it was hard, while I was elevating the leg and icing and all those things, I uh, checked over my um, training history and I saw, well, what happened last time when I strained my calf? How long was I out for? What did I do? Because... I've always said you can see all the physios or chiropractors or osteopaths, you can have MRIs, you can have scans, whatever your injury. But ultimately, the real test is actually going and running again. When are you able to run pain-free? Because it isn't black and white. We like things black and white. We want to know, right, you can run on this day and you can run this far at this pace and you'll be absolutely fine. So in answer to your question, I think it's probably going to be three or four weeks, maybe slightly longer. And I'm certainly going to proceed with caution. But what I find quite mm. interesting is what you said there, Pete, about, oh, I've never had any injuries, which I'm, I'm really pleased, by the way. I mean, a big, big, big thing for me is my runners will know is trying to keep them injury free as much as we can keep them in one piece keep them running you know performance comes second it's let's keep you running and I find it interesting that you say about well I've never had an injury because I don't particularly push myself I'm not running enough because I'm trying to do as well as I can do in uh, Mm. certainly over a marathon distance 
I, I have to sort of test myself a bit. I have to sort of push the envelope a bit. I suppose if I wanted to achieve 80 or 85% of what I'm capable of in a marathon or any race, and that's absolutely fine, by the way. I don't have an issue with that for anybody. In fact, it's almost a better place to be because you don't have to push things as much. There isn't quite as much pressure there that you put on yourself, of course. So there's a, you can be a little bit more relaxed. Whereas I've got to sort of push. And when you're pushing, you get very close to that knife edge. And there's, of course, there's always mm. that risk that you can step over and then end up end up injured, especially where, with running. So it's very, very challenging. Three or four weeks, it could be worse, you know? It could be worse. Five or six weeks... It could be worse, and it is, you know. And when and it is perspective, Pete, as you say, there are always people worse off than you. There's there's worse situations. It could be much worse, but then it's also important, I think, to acknowledge that a problem to you is still a problem to you. You know, if you're frustrated in the morning because you go down to get some breakfast, you run out of milk, and you can't have your cornflakes, it's still a problem to you, even though in that moment, even though there's we clearly know there's much bigger things going off in the world. So, I think just being, I guess, mindful of that and aware of how you feel is important i think it can be helpful but one thing i want to mention which i thought was really interesting was somebody mentioned because again honest i'm honest on strava on the podcast and various places and somebody mentioned on on strava and people were really supportive you know i put calf strain and i put a little crying emoji because that's how i felt and and i guess you know in reflection why did i do that i actually wanted a bit of support like i would support others Ooh. i wanted people to go are you course, okay yeah. jake you know like I, I felt like i needed a bit of a hug um albeit virtual and and i I had a comment from one guy. Um, he said, oh, lessons learned, or something like that. It was like, you know, sometimes lessons are learned the hard way, or some, something like that. And it, clearly he meant well, by the way. But it really made me think afterwards. I thought, if I'm really honest, I'm not sure what the lesson was there. Does there have to be a lesson? Is there always a lesson? Because you can't counter every single possibility. Nobody could prepare for the pandemic. It just it hit everybody and then you have to react and respond to that you can't sort of counter it sometimes there are lessons but sometimes they just aren't and i think well, what what can i learn from that i didn't i didn't <clears> run <throat> fast i didn't run far i gave myself enough rest after manchester marathon i'd give myself more rest than i had done after previous marathons when i've returned and i'd been fine so there's all these things and i, I just thought to myself do you know what sometimes you just get blindsided and sometimes things just happen and yes you can learn from certain situations but some situations i don't think you can learn from you just have to accept that it's happened and you have to consider how you're going to move forward i think the guy who wrote that he was well-meaning but i think maybe he um was replying to the wrong post mm. because i don't understand what you could learn from that <laughs> I, I think maybe he was doing that thing that that uh, that like that guy did on university challenge that time where he answered every question with the same answer <laughs> so every post that day was lesson learned copy and paste copy and paste i think look <laughs> yeah absolutely there are lessons that we can learn and i try and help my runners learn lessons from their training and, and perhaps things that don't go so well but sometimes we just have to accept that things are the way they are and leading on from that i think one of the most beneficial and important i suppose things to apply and be aware of when it comes to achieving goals right so not setting goals but achieving goals and that's persistence there's so many runners that i know that either have persistence or don't have persistence so you know i'm frustrated Pete. i i could easily be frustrated in the fact that i haven't had a decent marathon what i would call a decent marathon meaning i've been able to race it from start to finish and 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 you know give a true account of where i'm at fitness wise i haven't been able to do that for probably six maybe six years 
So I could easily be frustrated, but that's not going to win the day. That's not going to help me move forward if I stay in that frustrated place. What is going to help me is persistence. Now, I think when something doesn't go to plan, we look to change something. I've got to change something. I've made a mistake. I'm an idiot. I'm a fool. I ran too quick or pushed too much or I didn't eat the right thing on the race morning. And some of these can be very factual and very real things that we perhaps do need to learn from and make changes. Sometimes it's just a case of the stars needing to align and the gods shining down on you and just being persistent. You know, when you stumble and you fall, you get back up, which is what we talk about a lot on the show, right? You've got to keep moving yeah. forward. Yeah. Or oh, you haven't got to, but if you choose, you, you need to choose to if you really want to achieve things. So that's where we are at the moment. Yes, okay, it's running with Jake. We'll use the term very loosely. It's the name now. It's always going to be the name. So what you're saying is we're going to keep it as running with Jake. The podcast. We are keeping it as, as running with Jake. You're definitely not for icing for 10 minutes every hour with Jake. Does that work? <laughs> no, no. Does that it, work? It doesn't work. No, no, it's it doesn't. It's more accurate. I mean, we call it the podcast. I'm not even plodding. All I'm doing is elevating. That's all I'm doing right now. For the show notes and video content, go to runningwithjake.com forward slash podcast. Running with Jake, the podcast. So today's guest isn't injured. He is running. He's super motivational. It is indeed Josh Schofield from PGC1 Coaching. And what was great about catching up with Josh pre-injury, which was last week when we spoke to him now, we were talking about data. And one of the things that I think is really interesting is the use of data that our watches give us and our phones, especially in in today's technology-driven world. And I think there's some pros and cons to getting too caught up in the whole world of data. Here's what happened last week when I caught up with Josh. I'm on the Lemsip today, Josh, and you've got, like, the world's greatest coffee. And that... The way that that, I saw you just take a sip there, and as that, that cup touched your lips, I was like, that's an amazing coffee, mate. I, that looks great. Like, you take this stuff seriously. Really seriously. It's, it's probably one of my greatest passions in life. I should tell my athletes that coaching's my greatest passion, really, but <laughs> it's definitely coffee. Um, yeah, just been out this morning to buy, buy a new bag from uh, the local, local coffee shop. Seriously, stuff. Oh, you do take this seriously, don't you? Don't, you're not, none of this freeze-dried stuff. None of this freeze-dried crap. You're on. You're on no. the good stuff. What? Do, do you buy it in bulk then? Do you like you cut? Do you do, do the whole grinding thing and everything? Sometimes I buy it in from a, a roaster from York, uh, back where I'm from, or I go down to the local coffee shop in Daventry. But yeah, we go for like a full sage setup. Just walking into. Here we go. <laughs> So yeah, we've got the old, we've got the old grinder on the top. I can't believe you. You get a little pressure. You've gauge. taken me into your kitchen, the laptop with you. I can see yeah. that awesome coffee machine. That's a proper job, there. You're not messing about, are you? I like the fact that your coffee grinder is a very similar colour to your coaching top, Josh. You do take your coaching seriously. Your athletes can rest assured, <laughs> as well as your coffee. Well, look, are, are you comfortable? Are you chilled? Have you got coffee on the go? We're, we're okay to chat. We're all good, ready to go, yeah. This is going to be a deep dive, isn't it? This is something that we both feel very passionately about. I think it's something that every runner, I'm going to say in the world, is very much aware of. Some people, some runners use this more than others, and that is data. I mean, we are in a proper data-driven world at the moment, aren't we? I mean, we, we, we can't get enough of it. And, yeah. and even if we don't want the data, guess what? Our watches and our mobile phones are just going to give us the data anyway. It's going to tell us when to get up and move. It's going to tell us how much sleep we've had or how much recovery we need. Do you think we've gone too far with this whole data thing? Are we data mad? It's a really interesting sort of concept. And I think that in in some cases, the data's gone way too far. But in other, in other cases, actually, like there's... There's so much you can use for it, so much you can learn from data um, that actually it's one of the most useful training tools. It's really picking and choosing when when to use data 
uh, in its most effective form. Somebody once said this to me, Josh. We're talking about data specifically, right? And they were saying when you do various tests, so some of the things I'm sure we'll get into on this in this chat, so whether that's blood lactate testing or VO2 max or any of the other kind of um, self-administered tests that you can go out there and do, you don't just want the information to be interesting. You don't want the findings to be, oh, that's interesting. Surely you want it to be useful, right? You want to be able to use it yeah. to help you work towards your goal, improve yeah. your performance, whatever it is you're trying to do. So that's a really interesting point you made about it's the timing of that data, I think. I mean, what? why do we want this? We, surely we want it to improve, right? I think what a lot of us use data for is to try and track either trends or, or to track progress. Um, we all, as athletes, we love seeing progress from time point A to time point B. By using data, you can sort of jump in and, and find that sort of progression from between the two time points. And I think mentally it can be a really good comfort knowing that, okay, so I raced time point A, let's say time point A is we did a, a park run and, and time point B is that we were the Leeds Abbey Dashes this weekend. So we'll use that for an example. And you want to see that you've progressed since doing park run to get into the Abbey Dash. Therefore, looking at something like a Strava fitness graph and, sit graph and seeing that going up, that is going to give you great confidence going into the race that actually you're going to be in a better place. And I, and I think that's the main reason why a lot of us try and use data. It's down to interpretation, surely, as well, or, or, or not just interpretation, I guess, of the data. You know, when you start to get quite scientific with some of the, the data that we can capture, it is important to, to interpret that well, and people will interpret it in different ways. But it's also important to look at the big picture, surely. I mean, you know, like you say, time point A to time point B, right? Have I improved or have I not? It's very black and white. And I think we like that, don't we? It's nice and easy for us to, well, I achieved or I didn't. But surely you've got to look at that whole picture. Or, oh, you, you know, you suffered with hay fever and actually training through the summer isn't the best for you. Or the weather was really bad on that day. Or that must be quite difficult for you as a coach, having different athletes that I guess follow data as well. Do you get some that are kind of really almost too into it? and some that don't care or how do you manage that i have some guys that absolutely like data is like the be all and end all um he won't, he won't mind me mentioning james he's an accountant and it numbers it has to be numbers and he, he, he even un he understands that actually you know you can't always trust them he goes but that's my job that's my life numbers 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 and i get some people that they don't even use strava they just about managed to start their watch when they go <laughs> go out for a run you know one of my girls gavi bless her i've been sending her workouts on training peaks for a year and it took her a year to find them on garmin connect <laughs> um and she was she she said uh it's something along the lines of, oh, how does everyone else get their intervals come up on their watch? I was like, I've been doing this for about a year, Gabby. How have you not found this? But yeah. <laughs> so you, you can get two extremes and, and both of them in their own rights so do really, really well within running. So it's, well, I think it's a lot of it's down to personality type. You obviously see some of the lives that I do with um, um, fellow coach Joe Wilkinson on, on Fridays on Instagram and we get into various subjects similar to this, really Josh, this kind of chat and I love it, you know, as coaches we really love getting into this detail and helping runners. I think it's very easy to overcomplicate running uh, and I agree with that. A lot of people do say that. I can see you nodding away as I, as I say that. People can overcomplicate it. The other end of the scale, I think you can oversimplify it because, yeah, you just put your trainers on and go out and run. But actually, if you really do want to avoid injury and you want to improve, you, you, you've got to have some way of measuring where you are and what's going on. And, and you've got to have some data. VO2 max is something that you're quite passionate about, isn't it? This is, I guess, at the other end of things now, getting yeah. quite sciencey. For people that listen to the show that perhaps don't know what VO2 max is, can you explain that? simply vo2 max is uh it's a little thing that we all get come up on your watch and it's the maximum amount of oxygen you could 
inhale and utilize at any one point so the, the key part there is that you utilize it because uh, you can sometimes inhale it but if you can't utilize it then it's it's not uh, we don't measure that and it's essentially it's maximal um, aerobic capacity is what we're what you measure and you would test this in a in a lab to get it as accurate as possible but we know that we have yeah. these watches that throw up you've achieved a new vo2 max value how useful is vo2 max for a start for, for kind of the the, the y- your average i suppose endurance runner that wants to uh, do well in a, a weekend park run or, or, or perhaps you know look at ticking off a a marathon how important is that value vo2 max is a a useful indicator to differentiate between populations so for example someone that's rarely ever run will have a a vo2 max between 30 and 40 um, and that's a fairly undertrained person um you you know as you get into more of a club level runner they'll have it probably somewhere between 50 and 60 um the guys that are up there winning park runs and things like that they'll be more kind of 60 65 and then generally it is you get to the top end club runners 65 plus and then international athletes can be anywhere between 70 and 90 um but there's a lot of actual research out there so there's a there's a really good paper by a, a spanish guy called uh, legazaris and he he looked at different vo2 max and all sorts of the kind of values amongst spanish distance runners and they actually found that there was very little correlation between having a high vo2 max and actually being a top level athlete and if you watch the breaking two documentary on youtube again they show that actually between the three runners there was massive massive differences in vo2 max and kipchoge actually had the lowest vo2 max out of the three runners yeah he was the one that went out and finished it in two flat then 159 and i think a lot of us get obsessed with oh you know what's my vo2 max value saying you really you're not going to improve it very much over your whole running career um a lot of it's actually genetically based and it's a value that doesn't really tell you a massive amount you know sebco actually only a value of just over 70 which relatively most club runners in the uk who are running say around 30 minutes will have a vo2 max of 70 plus yeah he won two olympic gold medals and most of us haven't got that i think it's a good point you make about the breaking two documentary which is uh, it's amazing it's, uh, i need to watch that again it's that kind of thing where you can just watch it over and over again both the first and the second one obviously the first attempt when there was the three athletes as you mentioned and out of those three athletes kipchoge having was was that the lowest vo2 max which is really interesting isn't it and it just shows that it's not all about that one number and i guess we can learn from that that where data is concerned if you're somebody like james who's probably your runner who's listening to this now probably tapping away on a calculator he's going to get no accountancy done today he's just going to be looking at his vo2 max and working out various calculations but if you are really into the data and numbers it's important to know that it's just don't focus in on just one one piece of data one piece of information a metric because again it's that bigger picture isn't it you know kipchoge may have been not uh, sort of underperforming but he's obviously has the lower value in the vo2 max but he excels in other areas which are really significant you know such as economy for example so i think that's i think that's really important i mean what do you think is and this is a big question josh but we like big questions on this show what's the most useful piece of data to monitor would you suggest or, or two or three bits of information other than obviously you know how far you're running i think fatigue and feeling scores are the biggest ones um you can do two sessions in a similar state of fitness but actually they can have very different effects on your overall fatigue and i think in terms of a monitoring perspective and using data effectively monitoring your fatigue scores and fatigue levels is actually key because 
that fatigue is what causes us to lose time in training, either through injury, through illness, um, through loss of motivation because the fatigue has, has got so high. So I think really that's the most important one. The difficulty with that is sometimes if someone changes a watch or stops using a heart rate monitor or changes the battery in a heart rate monitor, then the data can all change. So it, I think that one is best done on using the data. So, for example, Training Peaks gives us a really nice clear fatigue score. Using that plus the athlete actually using their own intuition, how did that actually feel? One to ten, give me a f- few comments. Those kind of scales, if you can do that, that is the best way to the best way to use data effectively to then plan on to the next week because you know I get an athlete they say this week's really taken a lot out of me I'm scoring seven eight nines on my easy runs okay we know to pull back then because either there may be a bit of infection coming along there's a bit of a niggle there the body's not in a great position so we know to pull back a couple of easy days and then we can go on and and push on and and get back on the the proper training cycle tricky isn't it I mean you mentioned training peaks there which you and i both use to help coach our athletes fantastic platform which gives us it's like i describe it as strava on steroids it just gives us so much information if you are a proper data geek uh like myself uh, and josh to a degree then it, it's certainly a, a very useful app and give you you, know, you can have a lot of fun with it to help people but there's another element of how does the athlete feel how does the runner feel what was going on what's going on in their lives not just looking at a number or a score you've got to interpret well haven't you do you think it's a pretty accurate way of monitoring how an individual feels just purely on on kind of feel and trusting their own judgment and we we like to describe it as rpe so rate of perceived exertion which basically means how hard are you finding that session do you think that's quite useful for people to to monitor i think it's really useful because we all have different schemas as to how a certain intensity feels what i say is eight out of ten is not what you would say is eight out of ten effort therefore if you want the most reliable data for your yourself, then using your own um, patterns and, and work descriptors is the, is the best way to do that. As a coach, it's difficult sometimes to remember who who's 8 out of 10 it is and things like that. But using your own relative feeling scale is, is definitely the best way because at the end of the day, when you go out and do a race, there's sort of two things that come into account. It's your finishing time and how hard you push yourself and they're really the only two factors that come into play therefore we should really be the one that we can actually sort of change or use on a day-to-day basis is is how something feels yeah it's important not to be too reliant on data i mean it's something i as much as i love it for my own running i do trust my own judgment of, of effort and feel and i i use the other sort of areas of or the other bits of data to kind of support that if that makes sense so you know i might be running along again well this feels like pretty easy you know am i just feeling mentally strong on that day i don't know it, it feels pretty easy i look down at my watch and it will either support that or not based on heart rate and pace and you, from that you can kind of build a bit of a picture and a story as to what your different training intensity should be i, I really want to capitalize on having you on the show josh because it's great to um, provide people with their weekly dose of running motivation every wednesday but also for people to learn and get some education from this show so and we know that one of the perhaps strangely one of the more difficult intensities to run at and get right is the easy pace your typical bread and butter go out there and run easy what is easy how does it feel and also what i'd like to ask you is how if somebody came to you and they really want to know 
what their easy pace is because they have no idea or how to run easy what sort of things what advice would you give them and how would you help to understand what their easy pace and effort is if you were going back to those feeling scales it's sort of three to five out of ten overall effort which again can sometimes be quite difficult because what is 10 out of 10 effort who have we ever got to 10 out of 10 effort before in a race or a session but the i find the easiest way to describe it is actually how easily you can talk so i would i'd try and suggest to my runners that they either go out and run with someone else or, or call someone when they're out on a run and if they can talk and hold a full conversation then they're going easily if you can't talk and you're struggling or you're having to take breath between points then you're going too fast so that's kind of the key one that I use is a really easy scale because we all, we all love talking so <laughs> we on the podcast uh, we love it it's really easy to just implement big fan of chatting on the podcast big fan of talking Josh so it's great to have you, have you on but you're dead right and it's really easy for us to think well could I hold a conversation or not e- even if you're not running with somebody even if you're running on your own you yes can talk to yourself as you run along to test but actually you could just in your head well could I could I talk would it be a few words is it broken sentences or can I talk so easily that actually there's barely any effort at all in which case maybe you're running at the right intensity or maybe Maybe you need to pick it up. So it can help, not just with easy effort, obviously, but it can help with other intensities as well. It's interesting that you mention breathing there and, and kind of, I guess, oxygen demands. You know, if you're gasping for air, then you're probably not working easy, are you? You're probably pushing too much. In my own running, I like to use a breathing rhythm, so I kind of really listen to how much oxygen I'm taking in, like how much how much air I'm taking in. You know, what's my breathing rate? Because that is obviously closely linked to that conversation, isn't it? Like, can you talk or can you not? So I always try to run a 3-3 breathing rhythm when I'm running really easy. So for people listening to this that are wondering what a breathing rhythm is, I'll have a go at explaining this on a podcast. It's not the easiest thing. So the first number is how many steps you take as you are inhaling, as you're taking in that air. So the, the three would mean that I'm putting my left foot down, my right foot down, and then my left foot down. So I'm taking three steps. And while I'm taking those three steps, I'm breathing in. So I'm getting ox- oxygen to the muscles, to the tired muscles. The second number, three again, denotes how many steps I take when I exhale, when I breathe out. So it's again a left foot down, a right foot down, a left foot down to get rid of that air. Obviously, if you're working harder, your breathing rate is going to increase. So I'm not going to be able to take three steps while I'm breathing in. I'm probably going to be taking more like two steps, maybe even slightly quicker. So I always dial into that and I think, well, am I? what's my breathing rate like? Am I, am I demanding too much from my body here? Am I taking in too much air? And I find that really helps. It can be a bit confusing sometimes, especially if you're listening to music or it's a bit of a stop-start run and you're having to cross roads and things like that, but it can be a very useful way of monitoring. In terms of pace training to pace and i'm not talking about track stuff here josh which i know is a lot lot your experience fast 5ks on tracks and things how relevant is pace when it comes to easy running and what can the pace tell us and we've spoken about kind of understanding fatigue and understanding like conversation effort how does pace fit into it i always go off the principle that easy pace should be roughly 90 to 120 seconds a mile slower than current 5k pace that's kind of what I generally suggest. With that, obviously, depends on the terrain that someone runs on, depends on whether they're doing it all on trails, up and down mountains, that kind of thing. Um, and it's, it's important to bear those facts in mind, but generally those kind of areas should hit your um, the, the correct system. And I think some people get into the trap where they, they're on a, a real upward curve in everything and they're just going hammer everything. And... I think you get into the zone three area of uncertainty there where 
you're not actually making any training benefits really you're not pushing your lactate threshold you're not really pushing your kind of maximal aerobic capacity but you're also not improving your aerobic capacity because or your lowered aerobic capacity because it's too fast and you're just essentially getting loads and loads of fatigue and not hitting either system particularly well so generally i think if you're worried about whether you're going too easy or not probably just pull it back People often refer to it as no man's land, don't they? That bit in the middle, that void, kind of zone three stuff where you're not really getting the super easy benefits from truly easy running, as you as you rightly point out. Neither are you getting the kind of benefits from pushing and stressing your lactate threshold, the, the sort of running the harder stuff. You, you're just putting potentially unnecessary fatigue in the body. I think there's some benefit to spending some time running there, but probably not as often as people do. And if you end up just spending your time there because you've got to get back, you're probably going to suffer in in the later sessions i think that's quite a good point actually i always think that those like zone three runs they look really sexy because you know on strava it's like you know you run really quick went back back when i used to run myself more it was like if i could get a low six minute mile in run it, it looked really cool on strava you get loads of kudos and you think buzzing like yeah i'm really fit i look back now and i think what on earth was i running at that <laughs> intensity for like that did not help me in any way i've never done a race bar like a cross country and really muddy sort of fields that I ever ran six minute mile so what was the point i should have just gone easy or like just just not done it at all but we all we all get into that point get a little bit excited and it just feels so strong doesn't it because it's it's that point where it's like it's, it's still it's hard but it's still that you know you, you feel in control and i think if you can get to the point where you, you don't at that intensity just pull back and say actually i don't need this and and keep the powder dry then that's a much much better way of training i, I think as well it's, it's it's important to to note that obviously what works for one won't work for the other and and it's it's making sure that training's specific to you and individualized which i know is something you b- really believe uh, um strongly in josh you know it's not a case of all oh, there's a training plan that i give to everybody for your runners it's very specific to them and their lifestyle and needs and, and fitness levels and whatnot so that's i think that's really important but surely i guess the zone three stuff as we call it that bit in the middle there has to be some place for it i mean if people are running let's say, mar- you know, marathon, marathon pace. I mean, people aren't going to run a marathon at threshold, but they're not going to run it like super easy either. So I guess if you're fairly conditioned and you're, you're looking at a reasonable marathon time, then you need to spend a, a bit of time doing that, but but not too much. What, what are your thoughts on that? For my marathon runners, I like to put their zone three training into their long run. So that way we, we can kind of maintain a, a good level of fatigue throughout the week. So they'll always do like a high-end interval session. So I think the speed side is so important, even at marathon level. And then typically previous, you know, years gone by, would then give them a sort of tempo session and then a long run. And you end up just hitting so many like high-level hard training days. You're looking at three hard training days there in out of seven days. Plus they've got a life. Plus they've got a family to look after, a job, and it just gets so like mixed up, and people start missing sessions. So I, I combine the zone three training and the long run together, and give them elements of zone three right in that long run. And I find that that gives them just a lot of strength and actual mental strength because when they get into the back end of a two and a half hour run and they're having to pick it up to run at their marathon pace that's what they're going to feel like when they get to 22 miles in the marathon and that method really works for them 
but the key thing is is that we're not hitting zone three more than once a week we're doing it in one isolated case they've got minimum 72 hours before they go out and do their next hard session so that their fatigue scores can come back down and then we don't pick up the little niggles the little bits of illness that stop us being able to train the next day because the day before and the day after each session are just as important as the one you're in and i think that's the most important thing that people forget if you do in sessions that mean you can't get out for your easy run the next morning or you're having to miss certain things then you're, you're you're working too hard and you're not monitoring your data particularly effectively just bringing it back to data for, for a minute i want to ask you about uh this is something that people either love or hate and that's predicted finish times now we know <laughs> gps watchers a lot of them will give us the predicted finish times uh you can use various calculators online there's some that have been around for many years and some that are much more recent what well, what's your what's your thoughts on predicted finish times how accurate are they the ones on the garmin's <laughs> for yeah Hopefully no one from Garmin's yeah, listening. Yeah, be careful. Don't, don't um, lose us <laughs> listeners. Do not lose us listeners. Honestly, you'll, you'll yeah. cause Pete nightmares. He couldn't join us for the call today. He'll be stressing out when, I, when he listens back to this. I'll say Garmin's are my favourite watches. There Good we man. go. Good Even man. Good out. man. You saved it. So you I saved should, it. I should hammer like Suntail oh, or Kronos now just, just to even it out. Or... <laughs> no, we're not going to hammer anyone. We're going to be nice. Um, predictive finish times, I think, are always quite an interesting um an interesting phenomenon to me you, people kind of do key workouts and go right okay from that key workout i'm going to predict xyz frank Horwell, who's a really famous um, middle distance coach from for sort of 1960 onwards used to say that if you do 10 400s off a minute that is what you'll run for a mile the average lap time is what you'll be able to run for a mile and you know i think it's it's quite interesting because that would give you really good confidence going in if you absolutely smash that session. But what if you don't smash that session? Does that mean then mentally, do you get to the point where you think, well, I'm not fit now? So does that have actually a, a detrimental effect on, on race day? I, I, when i using data and using that to plan training, I kind of always think actually not trying to use these key landmark sessions every single block is is actually a more beneficial thing to the athlete because otherwise you end up going back and comparing and if it's going well then it's a real big confidence booster but actually what if it doesn't quite go so well there's a lot of good predictors online like the, the jack daniels v dot is a, a good predictor you can put a time in there and see what it would equate to equivalent well one thing i would mention is that it kind of assumes a very linear pathway and I think every single person on this podcast will know that running is the least linear sport there is. So take it with a pinch of salt, probably add 30, 60 seconds per sort of 10K onto, onto those times. And that's kind of roughly what you, you should be looking at. Um, but yeah, I think the predictors are really interesting and they can give you really good confidence, but also remind yourself of the fact that actually when you get out there on race day, every single bit of data can say absolutely what you want it to do but there's only one thing that's going to stop you from achieving that and that's your head and that's your mental state when you go into that race and actually that is a more powerful tool than any number that you can find on a on a garmin on a on a training peaks profile on a online training predictor it's interesting you mentioned about the confidence thing because i think you're right if the numbers whichever calculator we use or whether it's a watch or a, an online calculator to predict these race times if they're favorable it can give us confidence if they're close to or maybe even slightly better than what we were hoping for what we're hoping for on the race day then it gives us confidence 
but it's a funny one, isn't it, Josh? Because I think sometimes people can be too conservative. Now, I think most people are probably a little bit too ambitious, but some people can be too conservative with their times. And if they use one of these calculators and it's spitting out times that are so far ahead of what they are, what they thought they were capable of, that could actually put a little bit of fear inside them. And and an, another thing that could do is potentially cause them on race day to set off too quick. Well, the calculator says this, so I'm feeling super confident if it is confidence it's given them. And now I'm going to set off at this place and then they blow up in a marathon at, you know, 14 miles, never mind 18 or 20. So I think people have to be very, very careful, don't they? And, and you mentioned the Jack Daniels calculator and, and, you know, I'm a big fan of Jack Daniels' work. I don't necessarily agree with all of it or rather... Um, I have my own methods and ways of working and, and put my own spin on things. But I think with these calculators, it assumes that the work's been done as well. So you've got to train to do that. You know, you do a 5K and then you look at a, an online calculator and it gives you a marathon time. Well, you've got to put in the necessary work. It's not just a given that, well, I'll just do a couple of runs, three runs a week and I'll be able to do that because it's, it's not going to work like that, is it really? I think that's I think that's. Absolutely. That's quite a key point. There's loads of these predicted finish time calculators kicking around, as I've mentioned, but there's some very old school formulas as well. And there's one in particular that you quite like, isn't there? When when I was at Loughborough, George Gandhi used to talk to me about if you were doing a marathon, you had to double your half time and add 10 minutes. And he just kind of threw it out there. And actually, when you think about it, a lot of people generally actually that is kind of where their, their half time and the marathon time does does add up um, at, the, at the elite level sometimes you get maybe people that do eight minutes which is pretty mad but the uh, yeah the, I do like that and there's another one for the track runners out there where if you do a, a 400 you have to add four seconds a lap and that's what your 800 meter lap time should be and then you add four seconds to your 1500 and then four seconds equals 3000 I, I don't know how that one quite works and i don't think it ever actually the thing is ever quite that close james but, is back on yeah, his calculator some... J- james your accountant runner is on his yeah. calculator punching all these numbers in right now working out he's going to be a track athlete <laughs> he's going to what does he what does he train for james what's his what's his main bag what's his focus he's just on the london marathon he just ran 257 at the london wow. marathon incredible he, he, he's going to turn to a track athlete now you're throwing all these numbers and datas and algorithms at, at him i'm telling you absolutely you, you'll get a message from him after the show <laughs> I, I think that's a really interesting <laughs> formula as well you know the so let's get this right double your half marathon your best effort and it's got to be an uh, a recent effort it's got to be where you currently are not one that you did 10 10 years ago of course so double your current half marathon time and add 10 minutes that's really interesting. If I think about that, I can see how useful that could be. Of course, it can't be 100% accurate. And and another thing, just following on from that, while we're talking about marathons, Josh, I guess it's important to point out as well and remind people that sometimes marathons won't go your way. Sometimes they will go your way. And like James smashed it in under three hours, which is amazing in London. But sometimes things don't go your way in any race, but especially something like a marathon because it's so long and nutrition plays such a key role and mental strength. And there's all these other factors, muscle fatigue. It's such a brutal distance to race, as we know. So even if the race didn't go to plan or didn't go your way, it doesn't necessarily mean that's where you are in terms of ability and fitness. Sure, it's probably not wise to go on Strava and, and kind of manually upload the London Marathon and say, well, actually, I did this when you didn't because you got the time that you got. But it doesn't necessarily reflect where you are. I mean, I'll use me as an example, Josh. Um, we've mentioned, I've mentioned on the show, regular listeners will know, you know, 24 miles in the Manchester Marathon, then, then got cramp. And I, I ran a great 24 miles and then just hobbled for the last two. Now, that 
that is a good indication of where I am because I ran a good 24 miles and I was only two miles short. But I can't say that's an absolute true reflection 100% of where I am. And and the same can be said for so many. So I think that's definitely that's definitely important an important thing to bear in mind. All this data and numbers and facts and figures, it can't all be accurate, can it? We know that every now and then we get thrown a bit of a, an anomaly. You know, we've got a pair of, of body composition scales in the bathroom that we, we use kind of periodically and sometimes we'll jump on and it just gives like completely random numbers and we go, well, that's clearly not right. Clearly that's not accurate. How can we interpret good and bad data? Data in, especially in sport and in and sport and exercise is, is something that, is we're very quick to jump on the numbers if they're good and then yeah that that's yeah it's good because i I think it's good so i'm gonna jump it's favorable actually coming from my background that i've done sport and exercise science and sports nutrition and as undergrad and masters and when we do data we have to go through certain statistical parameters in order to be allowed to say that that something is um a meaningful change so the minimum difference that we have to see between two uh, factors is 3%. And they, they reckon that 3% is, uh, if there's only less than 3% difference, that is just day-to-day variance, that your your um, variable that you've put into this kind of equation or this variable that you've changed, that hasn't accounted for the difference between that. That is just variance from day-to-day. Also, kind of the, the old science rule of a, a test of three. Um, so if you, know, if you get a, a favourable number actually you need to go and get that favorable number a minimum of three times to show that that wasn't just an anomaly and get the average of those two or the mean value of those three it's looking at the factors that you're you're taking in and the equipment you're using how accurate is that so you know we can get garmin's anything up to a thousand pounds now which is a very you know very expensive bit of kit if you went into a lab and, and, you know, sorry, go back to the, the Phoenix, the Phoenix will tell you it, it t- tracks your left and right balances, you know, how much your foot pod, how much striking you've put on the floor and whatever. If you go to the biomechanics suite at Leeds Beck University, they've got force plates in the ground that are £30,000. You know, if you go into the, onto the treadmill, they've got lab testing equipment that's £10,000, £15,000 plus. So your watch can't always give you that level of accuracy so i think it's key thing to check what you're looking at but actually track track the progress and get as much of it as possible so that you can kind of flatline the trends and then you'll understand the the meaningful differences and actually looking at other things that that constitute to that data changing so you're gonna in your training you want to go out and do four threshold tests for example from time point a to time point b to check how you're progressing so on those tests you need to make sure you're using the same course you need to be using the same time of day you need to be having the same meal the night before and the morning of same amount of coffee same shoes you know same kit things you know making sure that your data is reliable if that's the way you want to go if that's kind of not your style and, and not what you, you want to do with your training, then I would suggest you need to actually kind of let the data lie a little bit and just work on your own intuition and your own feeling scales. And, and I think that's one area that some people forget, that actually there's so many variables that come into taking data. A, a few of my athletes came and did my MSc research study that we, I did over the summer. And they couldn't believe the amount of protocols that we, we, we go through. So we standardised the breakfast that are allowed to have. They were having orange juice and Nutrigan bars to, 
before the the morning of the trial so that we can categorically say that they're metabolically in the same point when they come to the start line you know standardizing the warm-up how long they're allowed to jog for to the second you know in order to make it reliable and i would suggest that most people don't don't do that in their own training so actually if you're not going to go to that extent you've got to make sure that you take that you have a caveat on that data that it's a good indicator but it's not the be all and end all and it goes back to is it useful or is it interesting you want it to be useful therefore you want it you need it to be accurate and as you're saying things need to be constant the test environment needs to be the same i think a very easy real world example to give of of looking at the big picture and as you say flatlining results and looking spotting anomalies is checking resting heart rate for those of you listening that do check your resting heart rate on a morning or if you listen to this and you think oh i'm going to do that tomorrow don't just do it tomorrow take it over a period of days maybe weeks and months and look at the trends which is what you're saying josh you know look for the patterns you have to do your own analysis on that and if you're not somebody as you're saying josh that is particularly into all the facts and figures and numbers and you're not you're not a james then that's absolutely fine you know that's 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 not a problem at all you just need to know what to use when to use it and 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 really how to use it josh you've been on it today man honestly i'm worn out chatting to you all these facts and figures all this passion that you're putting out there it's got to be that coffee i I I reckon that was well strong how many coffees do you have a day I'm probably on four at oh, the yeah. minute. You're not twitching yet. So how many have you had so far? Uh, two. Little flat white from Broad and Bread and then uh, an Americana when I got home. Right. But I'm a non-responder to caffeine. It's the best best thing probably in my whole life. I could have a coffee at 10 o'clock at night and I'll sleep at half 10. So. Well, where's where's your coffee from, did you say? Broad and Bread in uh, Long... Uh, well, there's got one in Long Buckby and one in Daventry. I, I can see where your true passion lies, Josh. I mean, you've basically slated all running watch manufacturers during this chat. But yeah, when it comes yeah. to coffee you're like putting them on the pedestal you're hoping for a load of free coffee i know the score if they're out there listening then i'm, I'm sure they won't be <laughs> josh it's been wicked <laughs> chatting to you go back and look after all your amazing runners pgc1 coaching keep doing your great work we'll no doubt have another geeky catch-up at some point on the show i'm sure we'll speak again soon running with jake the podcast so this is a really sad moment how well i mean this could well be the last episode like ever why? What are you talking about? Well, you, you don't want to change the name. You don't want to change the name to Icing for 10 Minutes Every Hour with Jake. You want to keep it as running with Jake. I'm not running. We're living a lie. We're, we're, we're frauds. People are going to throw the book at us, man. This is not good. This is not good. I, I, so right. clearly, well, this, this could well be the last episode. I mean, there's not even any point in you doing your Patreon Pete begging bit. What's the point? What, what are you going to beg for? Where are they going to give the money? Nowhere. That's where. What? What? It's look, look. We're not, we're not cancelling the show. You're not a fraud. You're going to be running again in three weeks. I think you've lost. I think you've lost perspective on this. We were talking about perspective. All of a sudden, you know, you you do running stuff. You still do running stuff, regardless of whether you're running a city. I mean, we never do that. We never run while we're doing the show, do we? Maybe we're frauds anyway. No, I, I don't know. Of it that way, actually. I didn't put it that way. Look, well, why don't we just let's play it safe? Do your begging bit, but maybe ask people to give the money to the Cats Protection League. <laughs> It's not begging. It's not begging. They make enough money anyway. We don't. We don't. We only have a handful of patrons who are wonderful people, by the way. If you do want to become a patron, what I'd say is this show is is free to everybody, always, okay? Except for the people who want to pay for it. Except for the people with a real conscience. Except for the people who go, actually, I'm taking some real value from this and I'm going to I'm, I'm going to pay for it. Now, if you are taking value from it and you can't afford to pay for it, that's okay. I've got an alternative, all right? If you, if you do enjoy it and you think, do you know what? If I've got a few more quid in my bank account every month, I would give the guys, you know, a fiver or whatever. Then 
I've got an alternative, an alternative that you could do that is just as good. All you need to do is just find another runner and just tell them about the show. Just send them a link to it. That's all we ask of you, okay? If you don't enjoy the show, don't do anything, okay? Just turn it off right now. That's fine. If you are enjoying the show, either pay for it by going to runningwithjake.com forward slash Patreon. If you don't want to pay for it or you can't afford to pay for it, just find another runner and send them a link. That's simple. Talking to cats, when you come and visit me in Winchester, you need to try and swing one in this cupboard. I'm telling you, you're never going to do it. It's absolutely... It's t- I haven't tried. I haven't tried. Just to put that out there, I have not tried to swing a cat in this cupboard. It wouldn't work. I just know. No, it wouldn't work, it wouldn't work. Ah, <laughs> oh, dear. Right. You can't mention the Cats Protection League and then start talking about swinging cats. I mean, <laughs> come on, come on, what are you doing? Look, I'm a cat lover, OK? I love cats, Martina loves cats. I mean, she's a vet, she's a vet. I'm still digging a big hole. Let's move on and take another one of your questions. <laughs> it is indeed hashtag Ask Jake. Today's question comes from David, who's preparing for his first marathon, and he wants to know, if he's struggling on a long run, is it better to quit or just push through, carry on, get it done. Uh, to be honest, David, it, there's a few things here. It does depend, obviously, on what you mean by struggling in the run. If it's uh, a bit of a niggle or an injury, uh, then certainly you are better off living to fight another day because what you don't want to do is end up completely injured on the injury bench uh, because that's just not good at all and won't help you towards your first marathon. Uh, if, however, you're just struggling with a little bit of energy levels, then it may be the case, certainly if you are prepared and you have some nutrition with you, uh, that you make sure you keep stocked up on energy, uh, hydration, obviously is another important factor it may be the case that you just need to slow down a little bit it is very difficult especially for people running their first marathons i think uh, to run at the right pace and often uh, people can fall into the trap of pushing a little bit too much particularly during the long runs and remember it's the long run that you should feel tired afterwards because of the duration the distance you're covering how long you're running for not the pace so just make sure you do back off a little bit if you do decide to quit and it's because you're really not feeling it it isn't the end of the world but just keep an eye on whether this is a regular occurrence or whether it's a one-off one-offs are fine but obviously if it's something that's a regular occurrence we need to get to the bottom of that it might be a sign of overtraining in which case you need a little bit more rest i hope that helps good luck with your first marathon don't forget to let us know how it goes if you've got a question then it's hashtag ask jake or drop us a quick email at podcast at runningwithjake.com so did i manage to keep it quite motivational today pete despite my woes are we good? Oh, is this? Are we recording the? We're recording the end of the show now, aren't we? This is definitely the end of the show. It's not like a. It's not like the debrief that we do when we say, "Was that okay? Was that okay?" No, no. For a minute, no, no. I thought it was a debrief. No, no. This is this is the end of the show now. It's happening yeah. now. You know when I said at the start of the show that you can't plan for everything. You can plan for the end of the show. I mean, we we. You should be aware that the end of the show is going to happen. It is nigh. I know. It is not, and it's the last one. It's the last one. As far as your question is concerned, I think it's been perfectly motivational. I know that you you are to quote you yesterday really pissed off but regardless of that I think you've smiled you've had a laugh but we all do know that you're pissed off there's no doubt Look, about I'm it I'm not pissed off I'm good just stop putting it out there I'm over it now I'm absolutely fine you've been listening to Icing for 10 Minutes Every Hour with Jake the podcast we will be back never <laughs> never. it's going to be next week but I like elements of surprise oh And one more thing. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. A bit like icing your calf. (laughs) 